Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Mark Sanders, a percussionist who plays in a whole host of different styles, perhaps best associated with free improvisation work. And Mark has played with everybody over the last few decades, including people like Roscoe Mitchell, Derek Bailey, Henry Grimes, Okyung Lee, Evan Parker, which we talk about a fair bit in this episode. And in fact, I was drawn to a uh, quote from an interview with Evan Parker. I can't remember the exact wording, but Evan talked about this sub-layer within improvisation where musicians are sending each other signals. And during the interview, he calls out the fact that Mark was sending him a lot of signals during a recent performance. That's definitely the impression I get when I'm listening to Mark in the context of free improvisation. Like, it's rare that Mark is just reciprocating the energy received. There's always this sense of asking questions within Mark's playing, where he'll say, you know, through his drumming, what do you think of this? There's this prompt to reframe what's going on. Like, the decisions that Mark makes with drumming are rarely the kind of decisions that you're expecting. And it takes the music in a whole different direction. And I predicted that this conversation would be, for one, really easy because Mark has so much experience to pull on and so many wonderful anecdotes. And also for the same reason, just really pleasurable. And that's exactly what happened. Mark's enthusiasm for this stuff is just so infectious. I love the three records that he picked. And of course, we didn't stay tight to those records. We went in all different directions and it was just a huge pleasure. So I really hope you enjoy this one and I hope you are enjoying the podcast generally. If you wanted to donate to the podcast, you can over at Coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening. There's a link in the show notes too. You can donate one off or monthly, any amount you please. And that just goes into hosting costs, blah, blah, blah. Thank you so much for your support there and for just enjoying the podcast generally and the nice comments that you fling in my direction. I really appreciate it. Okay, this is the wonderful Mark Sanders on Crucial Listening. Hello Mark, welcome to Crucial Listening. Hello Jack, thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. It's great to have you. So you're here to talk about three important albums that you've picked for this podcast. Before we get into those, uh, I'd like to talk about your music. And I thought we'd start with Immense Blue, which is your record with Ollie Bryson, Rachel Musson. So as we were just saying prior to hitting records, you played with them both at Otto the other day uh, as part of the album launch. So how did that go? Well, it was great for me. First first gig of the year after a very long break. And um, it felt fantastic. I mean, they're great players, but I really like the trio. It's very open. You could go anywhere with it. Um, rhythmically, rhythm and melody. And um, 
and sounds, textures, totally free to, to do what we want. But it's a, it's a beautiful trio, yeah. Rachel is amazing, as always, doing incredible stuff. And, yeah, Ollie is beautiful, really great to play with. Really happy to do it. Like I say, uh, this was connected with the launch of your record, which came out as we were recording, I think about 12 days ago, called Immense Blue. Um, that was captured at Vortex back in October 2022. Do you have um, any memories of recording that album? What kind of, yeah, what, what comes to mind when you think back to the experience of recording that record? I don't remember it at all. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, some periods I'm so busy. I, 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 yeah, I have no idea what I did the day before and I'd wake up and go, right, what am I doing today? Wow. But when I listen back to the recording, when Ollie sent us the recording, oh, God, yeah, no, no, we got one. Go, go, captured it. It's really well recorded. And it just jumped out as, oh, this this good. Yeah, great set. Great set. Really, really good feeling. Yeah, I'm just happy that uh, Ollie enjoyed it enough. He wanted to put it out enough to put it out himself and not wait and trudge around the labels and all that. Just, just get it out. Yeah. It's, that's so interesting that you, you know, do these sessions and then move on. Has that always been the case that you, you know, obviously you've got so much in the calendar normally that is it almost essential that you just have to keep your head in what's present rather than, you know, lingering too much on what you did under the weeks or months prior? Yeah, I mean, I don't tend to linger anyway. Mm. We always move on and um, keep keep working on it. And looking to what's coming next is a big thing. Looking towards what's really important to me that's coming next. Like this week, I've been working a lot because I'm playing with Evan Parker's uh, Trance Map. Oh, cool. Cafe on Sunday and um, and then John Butcher. That's in the afternoon and then John Butcher in the evening for this concert for Martin Davidson. You know, these are guys that I was put a lot of time in to think what well what is the group what is the instrumentation what is the you know for trance map it's it's a different kit so i'm thinking about kits thinking about equipment what symbols what what am i taking am i taking percussion or not taking percussion um evan really wants percussion for trance map um some gongs and uh, i've just been working on stuff this week with um, trying to look new new setup sort of ideas combinations, hmm. um, I want to play this symbol that Martin. This concert's for Martin Davidson on Sunday. He died recently. And he was the owner, uh, producer, curator of M and M Records, and um, he put all these really important records out, and. Um, he died, so there's a memorial concert for him on Sunday. So um, I'm just preparing for that. So I've been doing that the past few days, and that's kind of normal if I've got time off and I've got something like that coming up that uh, has certain requirements, or maybe there's I'm working with parts. So, yeah, get up and get on with working. Uh, been working with this uh, bass clarinetist, composer, Chris Cundy, who he also learned percussion parts that he likes to to write and or guidances you know so um, there's that sort of stuff to work on and um, again choosing the equipment thinking about what works best in that group maybe the space as well you know some places there's not room for the larger percussion um set up and sometimes it's just a, it's a regular drum kit and sometimes i want gongs with it <laughs> my passion at the moment oh really yeah 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 i've got a, quite a few gongs and yeah i'm trying not to buy any more just, um, <laughs> you know, yeah dug an old one out that sounded a bit like a dunk dinner gong when you just hit it normally but there's a place on it that you hit where it just gives this incredible reverberation one of those magical moments where i'm carrying it across the room to put it away probably and then I tripped over and hit it with my knee 
No. And sort of it. Man, that's beautiful noise. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, dig that out. Wow. And was that what sparked your current pursuance of, of gongs, the uh, <laughs> happy accident right there? No, no, that was years ago. Oh, and, right, um, right. Um, and I started buying better gongs. I've got a permanent loan off the uh, great Bruce Coates, Birmingham saxophone player. He used to lend me a 32-inch tam-tam, so I used that a lot. Mm. And then um, got Dream 20-inch, and my mate Ivor gave me a beautiful little pasty gong. And Yeah, yeah, I just pick them up and picked up a beautiful beauty in Philadelphia. And we're out there. In a percussion shop, amazing percussion shop. Oh, heaven. And, um, yeah, so just pick up things when you, when you, when you travels. And then a bit of eBay here and there. Yeah, nice. I mean, <laughs> this um, kind of leads into a question I did want to ask because I wonder what practice looks like for you because, you know, generally speaking, you play a lot of gigs uh, and it sounds like maybe that your practice at least you know some of the time is directed specifically towards an upcoming date where you know that there's going to be a specific venue or setup that you need to think about but what do you have like a practice regimen is it all oh, kind yeah. of yeah. no no yeah. i do, do what does yeah. that look like um i do a series of exercises around the kit that i've made myself triplet exercises and coordination exercises and then um i do love my books john Ryder books the jazz book um or a classical book um there's a snare drum technique but percussion and snare drum yeah so various books whatever i'm into at the time oh, and some african drumming i like african drumming books and then there's sort of technical things that i'm working on at the moment that i really like uh for for for, for technique that's is, you know to not, not too not too jazz based mm. certain things that I've worked out that I like to do and then some jazz learning tunes monk something mm. or Joe Henderson or especially Elmer Jamal uh, playing on with records nice and then then improvise and uh, play solo work on solo and and then it sort of Within that, that's the, the range when I've got time, or time to do it. And then sometimes it's chops and change. I haven't been doing the books so much. I just started again yesterday on a really nice um, African Grooves book. Um, I suppose, well, I haven't been able to practice much since I've been sick. So I've been trying to get back into the routine and um, I haven't been able to do too much, just two hours a day. And then right. come home. I've got a lock-up studio. I go in the morning and do that, and then I come back and I'll do some. I've got uh, practice pads, do some some chops, keeping the building, keeping the muscles built up, and um, and some listening and uh, yeah, and maybe a bit more uh, on the practice pads, yeah, and maybe not. Nice, um, yeah. yeah. Depends how much time I got. Now I like to pick up my daughter from school, so yeah, finishes about. Almost two. I mean, do you? This is the impression I, I I get with you that this is the case. But you've been playing for obviously such a long time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you do you feel like the that exploratory or like unknown aspect of your craft is still there and as present? Uh, oh God! You, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah! Absolutely. Um, I've just been doing some recording in the in the living room here with uh, the gongs and, and cymbals and the, the large horizontal bass drum I've got. And um, yeah, just still looking for sounds, looking looking for new ways and uh, new ways, uh, new musical techniques like coordination with with sounds. How am I making one sound and making two sounds together? And sometimes that takes coordination practice. Uh, you know, like we say with a brush with one hand and a shaker with the other. could be as simple as that. Mm. But how to really get it? Or, uh, you know, the bowing, like the bowing techniques. You know, I've been bowing a long time, but 
it took a long time to get to bow with one hand and and play with the other things like that you know it takes practice so you find a new technique like that so yeah we was, we was looking for new sounds and then listening to myself and challenging myself to to improve you know got to keep improving and at this point uh i know you mentioned you've got some dates with evan coming up this podcast will be dropping in maybe you know like a a month after we're recording so i right. wondered if there's anything you wanted to i, I don't know if uh, you can recall off the top of your head but whether there's anything you wanted to flag that's coming up for you or yeah, anything you're particularly excited about yeah I mean, I've, I've got my diary in front of me, so I won't list it all. <laughs> I've got some gigs. I've got runner gigs with Paul Dunmore Quartet, with Liam Noble and John Edwards, which is pretty special. It's really loved. And, uh, yeah, Paul really loves it, and it's great to do. And um, so that week after Belfast, gigs with Dunmore and John Butcher and Alan Niblock, then I go to um, Norway for a week with... Andreas Royson and John Edwards um, for a few days, and then I stay on and do some recording with Andreas and, and another group. Hmm. And then he comes, Andreas comes to England, and we do some gigs in Birmingham and the Vortex. And then a few days later, I go to Cologne with John Edwards and Gabriele Mitelli, a fantastic uh, Italian. He plays trumpet. And sax, alto, uh, soprano sax, you uh, using electronics. Oh, cool. So yeah. Anyway, that's a beautiful trio that works a lot. Uh, we work do a lot of gigs in Italy and have a great time. And then we go to France. And then uh, I got the trio with Rachel Musson and Pat Thomas in Saarbrücken. The day after that. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So it's sort of back to Europe. Um, then. We'll get another gig with Dunmore and Nicky Yao at Dunmore's. He has a sort of monthly concerts at the Conservatoire, Birmingham Conservatoire Club. Got my own trio in April with, with um, Lottie Anker and Steve Beresford. And then race back to, yeah. And then I got, and then the, get back for that. So I'll finish on this one. No, it's great. Evan asked me to put, Evan Parker asked me to put a uh, percussion quartet together. So we've got a few gigs doing that. First one for his Evan's 80th birthday celebration at Cafe Otto, and then one in Birmingham. So it's uh, Evan with uh, me with the uh, three drummers, three drummers, but we're playing percussion. Three guys from Birmingham: Miles Levin, Timochek, Josiak, and Jim Bashford. Three great Birmingham-based drummers. Wow. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Been working on that quite a bit going through stuff with him that combination sounds really exciting so evan plus four of you simultaneously yeah yeah oh my goodness which well, it's, it's he's really he, he likes me playing the the uh, percussion setup hmm. for for something with the electronics so um i've got a lot of percussion i've got two large bass drums and all the gongs and uh, i'll just set it all all my gear up and then we we uh we play it very uh, carefully with space, dynamics, quiet, which is hard with four people, four drummers. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. But it's really, really, I mean, they're great, great drummers, great musicians. So it is, it's, um, it, it, it's really getting there, really good. Well, usually I, you know, succinctly pop, you know, uh, linked to tour dates, like within the show notes, I think for anyone who's based in the europe or, or, or uk just sit tight because mark is probably coming to you so um i will link to various bits in the <laughs> show notes um but yeah definitely worth checking whether mark is in your vicinity in the coming months because it certainly sounds like a likelihood but um so mark we should uh talk about your important records now so one question i like to ask at this point is how you thought about the word important when picking your list of three records. So was there a way that you understood important in order to come up with the list of records that you did? Yeah, the first two were important to me 
in my discovery of the music. I, I mean, I was very lucky in that I, when I left home, I moved into, a, I was 17 and I was having drum lessons and uh, this guy said I could move into his house and Paul Rogers lived upstairs. So I moved in and he introduced me to free jazz and free improvised music. Knocked me for six and so I just went down to Ray's jazz shop and started buying records, listening. He'd play me stuff and I'd go off and the first thing was Don Cherry. I'd already knew Don Cherry from home because my local library had a, a small selection of records, but there was one with a cover that I really liked. And I thought, you know, what was I? I was about 15, 16. And I thought, well, this looks interesting. I'll try this. And it was Don Cherry's Brown Rice. Mm -hmm. And uh, that knocked me for six. That was, that was fabulous. But um, then I discovered that getting into playing, that was before I was really playing and getting into playing and hearing Ed Blackwell, just that was, that was my first, he was my first free jazz drumming hero because he, what I love about him still and what is important about that record is um, it, it's, it's like Art Blakey. You can hear the link to Africa. You can, it's rhythmic, but it's free. It's got everything, color, the, the melody, he he's so important. He's just an amazing drummer. And yeah. And that, that, that duo record was, was important. But then the beauty of, of uh, the, the old and new dreams record, such a beautiful record. I played it a lot and a uh, way of uh, getting friends into the music. And yeah. Yeah. Why don't we start, start with that yeah, well, one? Yeah. I was yeah. going to say we're, we're kind of rolling with old and new dreams. I wonder if we should dig into that one a bit more so with ed was this record the first time you'd heard ed blackwell or their records prior to this one that led you to discover him yes i like i said i i after after the um after brown rice i got in i bought uh moo first part and um that's a duo with Don Cherry. Mm. And um, that's the one where the drums really stuck out. You know, you really hear him uh, in all his, all, all his beauty. I mean, really, it's just all, it's all beautiful. It's all, it's all right up there in the mix and uh, Don Cherry uh, supporting and leading and, and uh, the, the melody and the rhythm together, you know, and that, that sense of, uh, he, he, it was really important record. The first, for that record, that's what led me to to listen to Don Cherry more. I was a big job Don Cherry fan. Loved him with all net, of course. And then I think I, I yeah, I saw them at Bracknell. I don't really remember. But um, it was the record. It was the record. I played it a lot. And um, funny, I, I played Don Cherry a lot. And drove my flatmate mad. It was, <laughs> it was um, a bebop trumpet player, Ted Emmett. Great Ted Emmett, great composer. And, and uh, he played. He played with Paul Rogers. He played with um, great, great players. Um, but yeah, and he, he hated Don Cherry. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, he's that tune. You know. <laughs> he was. Yeah. I mean, it's a different. It's a, yeah. I just saw it as a different approach, different technique. Okay, it's not super technical, clean, but my God, it's so beautiful and. Um, yeah, I love Clifford Brown as well, you know. But Don Cherry did it for me, and he still does. I still, you know, still listen to um, that trio trio he had with OK to Miz and Johnny Diani. I mean, it's knockout, absolutely knockout. And it's all there. I'm Charlie Hayden, one of my favourite bass players as well. And Drew Redman, favourite sax players, tenor players, you know, him with with Keith Jarrett, it's the best Keith Jarrett for me. Uh, and with Ornette. And then uh, their version of Lonely Woman is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, and then the grooves on the record. Yeah, that piece in six, Guinea. Gorgeous, gorgeous groove. What a bass line. Mm -hmm. This is the thing, so with Don Cherry, you said you played him a lot, we're a big Don Cherry fan. Um, and there are 
so many records that you could pick, I'm sure, that relate mm. to Don Cherry specifically that maybe would have fallen within this list. Yeah. Um, same with many of these players, you know, they've all been involved in really incredible music. I wondered what it was about this specific record that pushed it to the top of the pile for you. Like, what what is it about this one that makes it the important record for you? I think it's that lineup. It's it's those musicians together, mm. the sound they make together, and um, I mean uh, it, the way it's put together. I mean the, the, the bass solo on it, the whale song. You know, yeah, you, you don't get that on a lot of free jazz records. Really, let's be you know really bold. Let's put that record on. Let's put this track on. I mm. like that. It's so different to the rest of it in one way, and just makes complete sense in the other. I don't know. I j it just really is a standout group and a standout record from that group. You know, the, the other record is great, but this one really, I mean, yeah, historically for me, and still, I'm still listening to it, you know, to get out again and again. You mentioned that rendition of Lonely Woman, which I'd never heard before. I have heard the original, you know, an infinite number of times, but to hear yeah. it like that, I mean, for the sake mm -hmm. of people listening, it's like, it's, it feels basically like they've just half put it at half speed, right? And just really yeah. lent into the gaps that that opens up and yeah. wallowing in harmonies that often just get swept by in a second are suddenly mm. spacious enough to explore. But um, yeah. it's quite incredible. I mean, what it's almost, it reminds me of, you know, like. I had an episode recently talking about chopped and screwed hip hop, but how slowing things down has such a profound effect on your relationship with music and what you can hear. But yeah, yeah. what is it about that rendition that connects for you? Well, I, I'd say the same. Absolutely, it, it, um, it's their music. You know, it's mm. Don's music. It's it's maybe that's not the right way of putting it but it's just yeah i mean i just agree with what you say you put it beautifully yeah hmm. it's, it's slow down it's calm it's this none of the playing on there is frenetic none of the no. playing on there is, is um wild it's all just it's just a, a beautiful record it's everyone plays a beautiful solo that matches the sound of the record it's all it's it's got one sound i think that's that's my feeling about it it's very calm and, and also very exciting. You've played Ornette's music before, right? I've heard recordings of you playing Ornette. Um, knowing now your relationship with uh, dates of the past or, you know, previous times you've played and recorded, the fact that you have this future focus, I don't know whether you can recall, but, I mean, do you have any memories of playing like Ornette's music and what it felt like to kind of inhabit Ornette's compositions? Not really. Uh, to be honest, I haven't done it a lot. It was a long time ago with um, Chris Batchelor and Steve Buckley, I think, if it would have been. Mm -hmm. probably, or, or with um, or Martin Speak. Yeah. To be honest with you, I couldn't really say much other than it was just great fun, you know, great music to play, tricky little heads to learn. Um, which is always, yeah. I mean, I'm more of a, I, I really love um, science fiction. It's, yeah. it's my favourite Ornette record. And it's it, it, it's it got that dreamlike quality that, that um, Old New Dreams has. You know, it's got, oh, you just don't know what's happening next. It's, it's got a, a real sound of its own, a vibration of its own. It, it's, it's, it's very special. I've struggled to return to that one simply because there's the, the track which has the baby crying, which is so mm. disorientating and very <laughs> difficult to listen to. <laughs> oh, what a thing to do, you know, beautiful. What, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, not a shock, but it's just, yeah, so beautifully placed. Okay, Mark, I mean, is there anything else about... Um, oh, one question, actually, I wanted to ask as well is, uh, obviously there was one other odd new dreams album is that it was also self-titled i think released what two years prior to this one is that another one that you connect with as well no i i didn't to be honest oh wow 
Yeah, yeah, I'm a bit like that. With, and now that I've got this record, I like it. There's so many things to buy at that age. I had to, I limited myself because I was so limited financially. Mm-hmm. And then I never got, got around to it. I mean, yeah, it's it's funny. I'm not a completist. Right. I was like, off, right, what have I got? I've got Mingus records to buy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was uh, like, yeah, Ray's Jazz Shop in, in Shaftesbury Avenue. That was, I went down there. Paul just told me to go there. I went there and I was ringing him up saying, Did you know they've got this? Yes, I was absolutely <laughs> flabbergasted that there was these fantastic records all there. And I would just spend all my time just looking at the records. Hmm. Um, even to the point when Bob Glasses, I was staring at this Tony Oxley record for so long, but I had no money. I couldn't afford to buy it, but I was staring at it for so long. And I just put it back and left. And the next time I went in, I said, oh, what? Sorry, Bob's not here, but he left this for you. And he bought it for me. No. Oh, wow. Wonderful guy. We used to, yeah. Bob, like, he's, uh, yeah. And he actually bought the record for me. That is so Because he knew so I nice. no and I was just a mad obsessive. Before I was, this before I was really playing, you know, I just started. Yeah, I was playing in rock bands straight away. Um, but love this music. Just, yeah. Absolutely mad for it. That's why I forgot the question. What was the question? <laughs> it was about the other old and new dreams record, but you know, you mentioned the fact that you can't, you're not a completist, but I, no. I guess also that's a kind of um, essential facet of anyone who's into <laughs> jazz. It's not like if you were that, you know, it's uh, easy to fulfill yeah. that. So, yeah. Yes, yes. And into a lot of different types of music as well. So I was buying, especially at that period, I was buying a lot of folk music from around the world, you know, discovering uh, all sorts. How about we go to your second important record? Which one did you want to talk about next? I, I'll talk about the Evan Parker one, but I won't talk about that much because it's not, it's just, there's not a lot to say other than, well, we'll see. Anyway, we'll see. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's, he's doing this one thing and it's amazing. And uh, yeah, I can talk about it. Like, yeah, yeah, let's see where we get sort to. Of got a bit of a history with him. You know, yeah. Also, sorry, before you start, um, um, I, w- I, I should have put maybe saxophone solos instead of monoceros because it was the two together that I listened to a lot and uh, he gave me. Monos- yeah, anyway, it was the two together, really, really important. Anyway, we'll t- yeah, go on, let's do that one. We can, bu- yeah, we can bundle them in. I mean, feel yeah. free to remark yeah, on I'll, either I'll of those it. records. Sorry, it feels okay, now I've said it. I feel alright. <laughs> I wasn't sure. It's just this morning I was going, hold on a second, my saxophone solos is just as important as monoceros, if not more, you know, if not more. I mean, you know, I listen to them a lot. Anyway, oh. go on. Yeah, let's go. Uh, sure. Uh, so, yeah, you say you got a history with Evan. In fact, I listened to a interview you did maybe like 10 months or a year back where I think you talked about potentially your first meeting with Evan being as part of those nights that you were putting on where you had a duo I'm so sorry I can't remember who with but you'd yeah, invite guests Evans, along and, yeah. Yeah. yeah and then Evan came to to play so was that the first time that you'd met Evan yes wow yeah we, we invited six guests and we played as a duo and then six guests will be a, do a solo Phil Minton Elton Dean Evan Parker Phil Vaxman and I can't remember maybe it was five Anyway, so we invited Evan. I think I'd seen Evan with John Stevens and Paul Rogers because I used to, when I got a car, then I'd start taking Paul to gigs because he never had a car for years. Well, when he lived in England, so I'd mm. often drive him. So I get to, you know, see the sound checks, the uh, rehearsal. I, you know, it was fantastic getting to all these gigs, taking Paul and uh, saw him with Evan and John Stevens. I think that's right. But then 
so then we did these and Phil recommended to get known on the scene we'll run a gig in above a pub in Islington and have these guests so everyone came along and he did his solo which he did his um, circular breathing solo completely blew <laughs> as it always does with everybody completely blows you away the first time to see it mm-hmm. and then we got to play with him and then he rang me the next day and gave me a gig so <laughs> it worked yeah. <laughs> wow and that uh, was the start of their relationship sort of mid 60s 60s mid 60s oh my god <laughs> that's good going Mark wow <laughs> mid 80s bloody hell <laughs> nice uh, yeah so uh, and then Evan gave you these records do you remember when he gave them to you yeah so what happened Paul Rogers was living in my friend's council flat and uh he was moving away, and I said, oh, great, I'll move in. And um, he said, well, Evan Parker needs somewhere as well because he's having a break, you know, uh, a split with his wife and see how, see what happens. And he did just for a few months, uh, and, he, and he went back. And um, so we shared this flat for a while. So, I, you know, I had access to all his records, amazing oh, records. Amazing. Oh, my God. I mean, some of it's still... It changed my life, some of it, uh, especially the, the Korean music. I think he went out to Korea while he was living there. Uh, but he came back, yeah, he came back, yeah, he came back from Korea with a collection of Pansori, Korean opera records that blew me away. So I played them, drug people, drug girlfriends, mad. And I'm like, records, not records, I, I recorded all of them. It was like, 10 box set <laughs> recorded it all show people show oh, girlfriends wow. mad because they just play it all the time that was the yeah Korean music's really special mm. so yeah I mean and Evan gave me a lot of these records that he put out and was putting out um, actually when I was living with him he was putting out the last duo with Derek Bailey that relationship had come to an end but they had they were halfway through putting the record out so they decided to carry on putting it out I think that's right Mm. my memory serves me right so yeah I had great education and yeah not kicking that much together but um, do occasional decks for Paul Lytton mm. so getting to play with Evan and Barry Guy was pretty special yeah he introduced me to a lot of people and then and then yeah he gave anyway he gave me these two records and um, it was great listening to him practice his different scales he was working on, Japanese scales and all sorts. And then he gave me records. I really opened my eyes to to players, new players and thing I directions and talking about people, you know, talking about um John Stevens, how important John Stevens and what Stevens was and and what John Stevens would say, things like that, that everyone should become a drum, that that famous conversation. Mm. Going, uh, John went to see Korean music at the Albert Hall and then came back and said, uh, I think we should all just play like a drum. Everyone with short notes playing like a drum. <laughs> yeah. Trevor Watts talks about that as well. Important time. Um, but yeah, I mean, so Evan gave me these two records and um, he was really working on the circular breathing at the time, but this, this saxophone solos record completely i mean really incredibly important record mm. uh, and for saxophone players of course if you once you hear that it can change your life yeah yeah and uh yeah people made a career out of doing you know out of those techniques mm-hmm. it's not just the techniques it's the music it's to going from one thing to another it, obviously, it's not just the techniques. I mean, it's the music. It's, it's amazing. I was playing it really loud in the house, and I was in the shower. I thought, God, someone's shouting. It's something to turn it down. And it wasn't. It was It was him playing. It just sounded <laughs> like a person, a human being shouting. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, uh, the technique on the man, yeah. Again, you've played with Evan for so many years. Evan is, as you say, a player where you hear him and it's a really profound effect and um did it take you some time to 
kind of get into a rhythm of knowing how to play with Evan because I imagine that kind of force coming at you is it's you know can be like a bit of a hurricane so yeah oh what, my god yeah man. what was that like um I think I knew I had to take it I mean I was doing I was a jobbing drummer when I started playing with him. I was doing playing jazz gigs around town hmm. um, sort of trying to learn my craft but really I wanted to be a free player but I was you know there was very few jazz drummers around and there was a jack bit of a jazz boom and so I was playing a lot and I wanted to to to, to play and to learn to be a jazz drummer but my heart was really always into playing free and I knew that when I done a gig in in a restaurant in Covent Garden the night before and I woke up and go right what am I doing today oh right oh Evan Parker and Barry Guy in Derby right I'm gonna get to Derby right <laughs> and I sat down to play Next thing I know, you know, I'm sitting, I'm, so now I've jumped to, I'm sitting to play. And it's as if I'm waiting for accounting and it was like this storm hit of Evan and Barry starting. No, shit, I've got to learn to prepare for this stuff. I've got to learn to be inside this music from the off. Like you, I can't, yeah, you, yeah, this is, this is the heaviest music I've ever played. You know, I've played punk and dub and, all sorts, but this is the heaviest mm. music you can play, and uh, I've got to invest more in this. And uh, and uh, yeah, he he was very very generous, but also you know he would say things after um, you know guidance when the gig's over. He, he would say something like notes, you know, give you notes mm. to say, oh, you know, let it end, let it end, let the endings be real, little things like that, you know. He's always good at those little, little, little snippets of information or suggestions. Um, yeah, I remember one, one very good one. I use it, I'd say it myself in teachings, um, group improvisation teachings. Hold back and then let go. And, and then, you know, use your dynamics like uh, imagine a, a salmon going upstream when they're going back to spawn, going upstream a river. And then under the water and then leaping up and then under the water again and leaping up. And there, there's a group of them and it's, you treat, think of it like a group and someone has an idea and they leap up and then it, they take that and then back down again. That makes any sense. Yeah, lots of lovely little ideas like that. And these records that you got, is there a reason specifically why these are the important ones? you i suppose it, it, because um I, lo I love solo playing mm. i love um solo records my favorite is taylor is solo records you know it, um, just to hear that work and hit, hit, you know playing with him getting to know his playing uh, it was really important to me and so these two yeah had that importance to me to hear the two two sides to him of the, the saxophone solos you know that innovative extended techniques and then there's the more um obviously the extended techniques of but we with the circular breathing solos monoceros so this they're very different and that's why I, I like them both so so different but but so both so powerful you just mentioned that you've got some upcoming dates with evan so as yeah. i said already it's a long history between you both um how is it that it's still <laughs> exciting and novel for you both to play with each other after so long i mean what is it do you think about playing with evan that allows you to play with him still and still derive something from it without treading over old ground if that makes sense yeah I mean, it's not as regular as it was in the 80s and 90s. I mean, he plays with a lot of different people, a lot of different drummers now. It's always exciting because it's always fantastic playing. What can you say about great musicians? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, you learn so much and it's it's, fanta it's a, a fantastic feeling. I, I, you know, I work hard to to, um, to play with these guys. You know, I get, I'm very lucky. I get to play with incredible saxophone players. Um, 
you know, Evan was the the, the original one. A lot of my career is, is is off off from playing with Evan. You know, being introduced to people, people were seeing me with him or the records. You know, but also, you know, I played with Paul Dummel and John Butcher. You know, I, I love playing with him. So it, 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 they're incredible saxophone players too. You know, and then the, the yeah, but Evan has this sort of innovative innovator. The old oh, Trevor, oh, Trevor Watts. You know. My God, you know, first time you play with Trevor Watts again, it's like this storm of information and beauty and power coming at you, you know. And that's what these guys give, you know, in his 80s. I think Trevor's a little bit older than Evan. Well, he is a bit older than Evan. Incredible. Still got it. You know, still doing it at that level. It's very exciting. Always just exciting to play with people. It's exciting to play with great people, Um, great musicians, you know. Especially great saxophone players, I mean, you know. There's good saxophone players, and then there's these great ones that you innovators that uh, do stuff that just gets you going. Just a joy to play with. Yeah, and Evan was the first for me, you know, and, and very important in my career. Mark, we should go on to your final important record or final important work, I guess. Uh, so, uh, could you give me the name of it and then also just a little introduction as to why this one is important to you? Well, this is one track of a series of pieces that I, I listen to regularly. Um, and it's, it's um, Rebecca Saunders. Fury to uh, I love it because it's it's based around the double bass, which is an incredible instrument. You know um, what a harmonic range and the sounds you can get out of it. Uh, she's just a, a wonderful composer. Really um, touches me. She really uh, means a lot to me now. And this piece has great percussion writing in it. Lovely mm-hmm. instruments, um, strings. It's it's a for me it's a beautiful ideal lineup. Of uh, instruments, and um, just like a small string section, it's like a chamber group with double bass in the forefront and percussion, big percussion sounds, dynamics. Uh, yeah, really, really interesting piece and, and a beautiful piece. And there's many others. I won't list them all, but um, there's many others. There's a wealth of music to to dive into with her, which is a really important composer. I don't know. I mean, no one else has jumped out to me like that, so I just stick with her. I just... Mm. uh, It was in the pandemic I discovered her, so that's why it's important to me, because she was a real joy of new, new music. Oh, this is new, new music. Oh. Mm. Somebody... every, Every piece, I love every piece, and... Her talk, you know, on YouTube, her talking about her music, really interesting. Um, new pieces coming up. Uh, Dust is, of course, beautiful to me. Mm. Um, percussion piece, so solo percussion pieces. Uh, yeah, and it really, it was, you know, we're, I, I think we all had difficult times in the pandemic. I mean, the first year was fantastic for me. <laughs> I loved it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got to see my daughter every day. Right, right. She loved that. She loved it and I loved it. And then the second year, oh, God, yeah. It's like, well, what's happening next, you know? And mm-hmm. um, Rebecca, finding Rebecca Saunders really gave me something to really focus on, listening and to have something new and exciting to listen to and absorb. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not so much a percussion that I was absorbing. It was more the, just the writing, just the, the beauty of the music. So yeah, that's why she was that. That importance was for now important. Now, no, and, yeah. Um, I've, I've uh, nice. I've the records in the car, 
radio broadcast. I've got a friend who sends me um, broadcasts his recording and have the CDs in the car. Oh, what of uh, Rebecca Saunders' pieces? Yeah, yeah. Wow, what driving music. Yes, yes. <laughs> and because um, I, I, I'm in the car so often, so much, you know, you think every time I drive to London, that's six hours driving. And I go to London, what, three, four times a week sometimes, you know, and then whizzing around here and there. Um, and then flying, yeah. Lots of, mm-hmm. you know, airports. And so there were a lot of, you know, with our jobbies, there was a lot of time. And uh, investing in decent headphones and um, paying for uh, YouTube to have no adverts on YouTube mm-hmm. uh, means I can listen to it without being harassed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I find sitting uh, <laughs> airport, sitting in airports is a great place to listen to a mm. drama. Drama with all this madness going on. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, uh, so I'm guessing you haven't seen her live, right? Um, no, no, I haven't. I mean, no. she's based in Berlin. I, I, I don't, yeah, I've, I've not seen her advertised in the UK. So I've not seen her advertised playing. Mm. Um, I, play, I haven't seen her at Huddersfield. I played Huddersfield New Music Festival quite a few times, but, but yeah, never seen her name I'm sure maybe she has played there I don't know but uh, not when I've been there but I would go to see her yeah yeah I mean there's some wonderful videos on YouTube of I was watching a performance of this piece and maybe you can tell me about this does the uh, so I know it's listed as like double bass and ensemble is the ensemble a fixed set of instruments I saw one with accordion I don't know if that's like a constant presence but yeah, um, I think with the, with with the new music, the composers, uh, uh, some composers are happy for for it to be different instruments. Hmm. Um, if if they're in, maybe if they're involved, and I, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. This Fury Two, or maybe there's a Fury One with with accordion. It could be like that. I don't really know, but um, I'm happy to listening to whatever there is. It's it's like the um, Legatus Tempest. That's that's different orchestral lineups, isn't it? You know. Yeah, for they sure. try to get the same, but sometimes it's not possible. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it was a beautiful presence in the version I watched because, you know, you have these huge events in her music, and these mm. huge clatters, and the accordion sometimes almost seem to be emulating the kind of tinnitus ring you get after an explosion that has it was quite wonderful it's like a cinema yeah. soundtrack it's in, yeah. you know, incredible yeah that's it that's it. it's the drama of her she really is so dramatic and uh, not afraid to sound dirty and rough yeah yeah i'm because i was gonna say i mean looking how how she you talked about you know watching her talk about her music as well i've seen a couple of interviews where you know she talks She's so fascinated with tone and texture from what mm. I can gather. And it, you know, and also just extraneous. Oh, extraneous sounds reductive. That's not the word I'm looking for. But, you know, tones coming out of instruments that aren't within the usual set that you expect mm. um, from a particular instrument. It's almost like there is a, a sort of percussive sensibility permeating her approach as a composer and I wondered whether or not that may, may be a factor in why she appeals to you yeah yeah I mean I hadn't thought of it like that but when when um, um, uh, Dust seems to be um, resonates with me because she's I mean she's doing stuff that I was already doing you know mm. creating sounds but, I, but I'd never seen another composer use Maybe that's what it is. I I don't, you know, I don't put a lot of thought into it, to be honest. I'm Mm -hmm. listening uh, in that way, you know, how does it affect me or other than learning from it? Yeah, I'm not analysing how it affects me, but uh, I'm I'm taking it all in and and, uh, absorbing it. That's a really interesting way of putting it, because she is very percussive, great sense of time without... Uh, phrase, yeah, a uh, phrasing, the space between the phrases. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be 
say what I'm thinking when I'm soaking up what she's what I'm listening to, but yeah. It's just beautiful music, that's all. So, Mark, I've got one more question for you, which is generally about your relationship with listening and bringing music into your life. Uh, So do you have preferred formats? Are there particular times, places where you do most of your listening? You know, how do you buy music? So, yeah, tell me a little bit about that. When you say formats, I'm not a vinyl person. Really, right. anymore. Um, I'm a lovely old record player, but the needle went and I've, I've struggled to get a new one. So, and then I just left it and uh, CDs, CDs mm-hmm. in the car, cars full of CDs, drive me mad. Can't find <laughs> six a box with six CDs, changer in it. And, and um, I suppose YouTube has taken over. YouTube has taken over my listening because of, uh, there's so much to investigate. Now, it's opened up my investigating because, you know, I wasn't buying CDs for a long time. Just listening to old, old stuff. You know, I've got so many, and just rotate them. Listening in the car is really important because then I've got no one, no, dis- no distractions other than the, <laughs> mine and other people's safety. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I don't try, I've stopped trying to learn tunes on the road because that's kind of dangerous on the motorway. With the, yeah, there's so many, you know, crashes now. Anyway, um, yeah, I was going to say, it was kind of stressing me out hearing you talk about listening to Rebecca Saunders in Driving to London. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. But I do a lot of listening to Radio 3 now. Nice. Lately. A lot. Um, it's the main thing on now. I, yeah, because the, the political change in direction of the BBC... I can't listen to Radio 4 anymore. Mm-hmm. I'd be mad. Shouting at the, I can't shout at the radio all day. It drives my wife mad shouting at the radio. And <laughs> so the beauty of having Radio 3 in, in, the, in the house and then in the car, you know. Um, I have to listen to myself. Um, we, we, when, when, you know, we, when I've done recordings, then the best place is in the car because I can't escape and make a cup of tea or, you know, get on the computer or anything yeah so i've got a good system in the car and it yeah I listen to to myself a lot you know choosing tracks and that yeah the car's the place because i'm in there a lot and at home it's radio 3 and, and youtube you know? nice nice yeah cool well mark i was really looking forward to this because it's just a joy to hear you talk because you have so many experiences and connections pull on and I just love navigating a path through that and using these kind of three important records to do it has been wonderful so thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast oh thank you Jack thanks for inviting me and yeah pleasure all the best and to everyone listening I'll see you next time goodbye goodbye <laughs>